Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take God's Word and open with me to Acts chapter 4 for this morning's message and for our time together today. We've been going through a sermon series in recent weeks entitled, It's High Time. It's High Time. That phrase, it's high time, sounds unfamiliar to us in our day because frankly, we don't talk that way. That is not the verbiage of our culture, but it was the verbiage of years past. The phrase, it's high time, is a phrase that speaks of a moment of urgency. It's like God is saying, it's high time to do some things. It's a moment of importance. It's a moment of significance. It's a moment of emphasis. Don't miss this. In Romans chapter 13, our theme verse for the series, verses 11 through 12, the King James says it this way, and that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. We've seen throughout our series already that God is looking at, I believe, the church today and saying, listen, it's not time to be sleepwalking. It's not time to merely be religious. It's not time to go through the motions. It's high time to do some things in your life. It's high time to wake up and be alert to the movement of God in your life. It's high time to fill up, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in your life. It's high time, as you saw last week by Pastor Michael's message, it's high time to suit up and put on the full armor of God. It's interesting here in Romans chapter 13 that that armor of God is referred to as the armor of light. What an interesting image, an armor of light. Why is that? The reason why we're recognizing that it is the armor of light is simply this. As we go forth to be the witnesses that God has called us to be, God is showing us that we are called to be light in the midst of a dark and perverse world. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter two. He says, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Listen to this. Among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Last week, Pastor Michael reminded us of that armor of God and of the importance of the gospel, that our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and that we have the sword of the spirit. He reminded us of the importance of the gospel in this work that God has called us to do. As we live and function in this dark world, God is saying, it is high time to shine bright for Jesus. And the key to shining bright for Jesus is found in one place. It's found in the gospel. I wanna ask us today, as we look at God's word, simply this, Do you genuinely believe the gospel? And if so, what are you doing to take the gospel to the world around you? I believe we see loud and clear from Acts chapter four this morning that God is saying it's high time to speak up. It's high time to speak up, to share the good news, to share the gospel, because it's high time for men and women and children to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reminded of the importance of being high time to speak up last weekend. Uh, Pastor Michael shared with you that my boys and I were given the opportunity to go to the Holy Land called Tuscaloosa, Alabama to watch a little football game. Many of you know that I grew up as an Alabama fan in the state of Alabama. I have not been on campus there for a game in 20 years. And it just so happens that we were blessed to receive some tickets to to go to this game. And I was reminded as we we got to the game, to be frank about it, it was a lot closer than it should have been. And, And I was reminded in the context of the game that every time it became third down for the other team, there was a chiming of a bell, boing, boing. And then there was a roar of a mighty, victorious champion elephant across the stadium. And what they were doing with their sound effects is this. They were calling the crowd to stand up and get loud. In fact, I have an honest confession to you. Before I went to the game, normally when I watch a game on TV, by the end of the first quarter, I realize I'm a little excited and I have to tell myself, wait a second, I'm preaching tomorrow. I need to tone it down a little bit. Well, before I went to that game in Tuscaloosa, I told my boys, I said, sons, boys, I have every intention of losing my voice at this game. I just want you to know that. 
When it came third down and the, the bells chimed and the elephant roared, the entire stadium, yours truly included, we were on our feet and we were screaming and making as much noise as possible. Why? Because we wanted to defeat the enemy. And LSU's the enemy last Saturday, okay? That might be a silly illustration, but I believe in many ways God is looking in the moment. There's all these voices in the culture. There's all these distractions. There's all sorts of divisions. And in the midst of it all, it's like God is chiming the bell and he's saying, church, it's time, it's high time right now to speak up the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter four, let me give you a reminder of what's happened up to this point. In Acts chapter one, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. And as he ascends into heaven, he's given his final words of commission to his disciples. And here's what he says in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Somebody said the word witness. A witness is someone who simply speaks what they've seen and heard. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remote part of the earth. Acts chapter one, that's what's taking place. He's being commissioned, the disciples are being commissioned to go as witnesses of Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter two, 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter stands and he preaches the gospel and the Bible says, Jews from every nation under heaven, they hear the gospel message in their own language and that day, 3,000 souls are saved, lives are gloriously changed by the power of the gospel. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are walking into the temple. There's a man there, he's lame. He's been that way since birth and he's begging for alms. And Peter and John look at him and say, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, walk. And instantly, guess what happened? Instantly by the power of the name of Jesus, the man was transformed, he was changed, he was healed. And the Bible says he went walking and leaping and praising God. By the way, when you've been changed by Jesus, you go walking and leaping and praising God. A radical change is taking place. So much so that the culture all gathers together and they're wondering the question, how did this happen? How did this miracle occur? How was he changed? And Peter says, let it be known to you. It's by the name of Jesus. And Peter begins to proclaim the gospel. And guess what? When the gospel is proclaimed, souls are saved, lives are changed, and the kingdom of God is furthered. On that day, 5,000 men, additional women and children, believed in Jesus and responded to the gospel message and were saved. It's there that we pick up the story in Acts chapter four, as I preach to you on the subject, it's high time to speak up. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin reading right now in verses one through 22. And I wanna ask you to make sure you keep your Bibles open. We'll read the remainder of the text later in the message. Here's what the Bible says. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming, listen to this, in Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Many of those who had heard the message, they believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Verse five, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? How is this even possible? And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He, Jesus, is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Listen to this statement. And there is salvation in no one Else. Underline that if you want to, bolden it if you want to. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. They began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. So that it will not spread any further among the people. Listen, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. 
When they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the power of your word. Would you speak to us now through the Holy Spirit? Father, would you show us the steps that you'd have us to take that our lives would be transformed and not merely ours, but also others around us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, may be seated. It's high time to speak up. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful today that we live in a nation where we have the freedom of speech. We can stand and we can speak and we can proclaim, frankly, whatever is on our heart and mind. And yet, while we understand that is a blessing to be a part of this nation, the fact is, we also live in a day where some speech is not culturally acceptable. If what we are saying is not popular, if what we are saying goes against the flow, if what we are saying does not agree with and walk in sync with the ideals of the culture, then frankly, we can be silenced. We can be marginalized, we can be criticized, we can be persecuted, we can be dismissed, and all sorts of other actions. The fact of the matter is today, when you and I stand for that which is true, at times we will be minimized and marginalized because we're going against the rule of the day. God warns us about this. In 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul literally, God speaks through the apostle Paul and literally says, listen, there's coming a day when men will be lovers of themselves. There's coming a day when men will have itching ears and they're gonna to wanna to hear whatever message makes them feel good. And God says in 2 Timothy chapter three, but in that day, Timothy, in that day, church, you keep standing upon the word of God. Pastor Michael gave that illustration last week of feet that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, reminding us God's calling for us, even in this culture, even in this hour, even in this day, is to stand firm in the truth of God's word. Well, how do we do that? I'm reminded loud and clear this morning, even though we live in a culture that is largely opposed to the name of Christ and doing everything that it can to silence the name and the message of Christ, I wanna remind us as Christians, our calling is still to go. Our calling is still to share. The reality of one name under heaven by which men can be saved is still true today. And there's a wonderful truth that we need to remember. Everywhere the gospel message is proclaimed, souls are saved, lives are changed, and his kingdom is established. But everywhere believers in the Lord Jesus Christ remain silent, souls are lost, lives are endangered, and evil wins the day. The question for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this moment in time, in 2021, is not do you have the answer? The question is this, are you willing to share the answer. Are you willing to share the cure for the word world? Are you willing to share the hope that's within you? Are you willing to share with this broken world the peace that passes all understanding? Are you willing to share the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? If we're going to do that in this day and hour, I believe there's three things that God would have us to hear from this text that would encourage us and challenge us and help us today. Number one, we begin with this. I want you to see the conviction of the Christian. The conviction of the Christian. There is no doubt about it in this moment in time as Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin court that they had already determined that they are going to speak up. I shared with you a moment ago before I even walked into that football stadium, I told my boys I have every intention of losing my voice and with God's help, that's exactly what I did, okay? Peter and John went into this moment with a conviction. It wasn't conviction about their ability. It wasn't a conviction of what necessarily, how they were gonna be so great and mighty. It was a conviction about the gospel. I wanna remind us loud and clear that the Sanhedrin court in that day was the most powerful court amongst the Jews. The Sanhedrin court had one primary purpose and that was to protect the religion of the Jews. So any other quote unquote religion, any other movement, any other prophet, any other following, any other message, the Sanhedrin primary objective in that moment was to rid the Jews of that so that they could have and protect their own man-made religion. And yet in the midst of all that, God brings Peter and John before the Sanhedrin court. What would they do in that moment? Would they give in to the pressure of the day? Would they give the Sanhedrin court the answers that they knew they wanted to hear? Would they give in to the influences around them or would they stand firm in their conviction? 
We see with Peter and John loud and clear that by God's grace and for his glory, they stood firm in conviction. Let me tell you two convictions that they had. Number one, they had a conviction about the power of the gospel. Let me ask you, do you have a conviction about the power of the gospel? Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and to the Greek. To all who believe, it is the power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to save souls and change lives. Well, what is that gospel? As Peter and John are put on account to give a defense, here's what Peter says loud and clear. Verse 10, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel and by, that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. The gospel is really simple. In our day today, there are groups that like to talk about the new gospel or what is the true gospel. Listen to what Paul identifies as the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, verses one, verses three through four. It's very simple. Here's what he says. I make known to you, brethren, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which also you stand. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The simplicity of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, died on the cross for the sins of all the world. Jesus Christ was buried and put into a borrowed tomb because he was giving his life to pay for our sins. And thirdly, Jesus Christ rose again from the grave proving that he is the Lord, proving that he's the resurrection life, proving that he is who he says he is. The gospel is the death, it is the burial, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please understand this about the gospel. The gospel is not merely a list of facts to understand. The gospel message is simple. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospel is not merely a list of facts to understand. It is an experience that you and I have when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel is not merely a message to memorize, but a miracle to experience by faith in Jesus Christ. Even a religious man can state the fact that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again from the grave. Many children even grow up in Sunday school or in, in religious homes where they understand that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. But understand this. The difference in a religious man and a saved man is that a saved man has experienced the power of the gospel. I'm asking you, do you know the gospel's fact or do you know it from experience? Do you know it because of your religious background or do you know it because of your relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? See, in this moment, loud and clear, God literally in that moment gave a visual illustration of the power of the gospel. That illustration was of a man, a young man, just over the age of 40. I think he was really young, by the way, but anyway. He had been lame since birth. Everybody in town knew who he was. They saw him begging there at the temple, and yet by the name of Jesus Christ, instantly he was healed, he was transformed, he was changed, and now he's giving testimony to who Jesus is. What I'm saying to you loud and clear is that those who have been transformed by the power of the gospel, they illustrate that transformation through a life that has been changed. Physically, it was a healing for this man. But for all who believe in Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual transformation that takes place. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Please, I want you to understand, there is the power of the gospel to change lives. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. About a month ago, I was in Texas. Many of you know I serve on a leadership team where I traveled to Texas a few times a year. I haven't been there since COVID. It was my first time back in a long time. And, and one particular evening, I had asked and requested permission to have a meal with a bunch of students and a few leaders, and I didn't have a ride. And so I reached out to one of the, the leaders, and I said, listen, can, can you have one of the, the guys, seminary students, could you have him pick me up, give me a ride to this restaurant? He said, absolutely. And so they made arrangements. I had no idea who was coming to pick me up. I was just told to be at a certain place at a certain time. So I obeyed orders. And this, this young man came, and he picked me up, and I quickly noticed something about him and that is that he wasn't your typical seminary student. He, he wasn't like right out of college. He wasn't like 22 to 25. In fact, this guy's like in his early 30s. He, he's married, he has a few children and we get to talking and I was like, man, this is, this is so good to meet you. Tell me your testimony. 
He's like, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Okay, that's cool, man. Tell tell me about that. And so he began to tell me how nobody in his family had been Christians. He didn't grow up hearing the gospel. He, He grew up occasionally going to mass on Christmas Eve, but he never really heard the gospel. He knew nothing about a relationship with Jesus. He goes off to college, he finds a girl that he, he meets, he, he loves her, they, they start being intimate together, they eventually move in together, they have a child together and getting ready to have a second child when all of a sudden, his grandmother one day called him and said, would you come, would you come to my house and visit? I wanna prepare lunch for you. Went to visit his grandmother. At the age of 74, his grandmother had gone to a church service that a friend had invited her to. She had heard the gospel message. She was wrestling with that gospel message and she put her faith in Jesus Christ to be her Lord and Savior at the age of 74. She prepared lunch for him and she gave him, she gave him for the first time ever, this young man in now his late 20s, almost early 30s, a businessman doing well, trying to take care of his girlfriend and his young children. She gave him for the first time in this country a Bible. He went home and he began reading it. He didn't know where to start, but he eventually got to Matthew and he got to Mark and he got to Luke and he got to John. And when he came to John chapter three, he was overwhelmingly convicted that he needed this Jesus. He got up from his living room table where he was reading one morning. And what he did is he walked four blocks to the nearest church he could find that happened to be a Methodist church. The door was open, he went in, he met the pastor. The pastor talked to him and shared with him Romans ten thirteen: whoever calls the name of the Lord will be saved. He heard that message, he prayed to put his faith in Christ, and that day he became a follower of Jesus, but the story didn't end there. He went back to his house where he was living with his girlfriend while he was trying to raise his young child, and he continued reading, and eventually came to 1 Corinthians chapter six, and as he's telling me the story, he said, I came to 1 Corinthians six, and I was reading about my body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And about living by purity and honoring God even you know, in, in your body and in your relationships. And he said, I realized in that moment that what my girlfriend and I were doing were not pleasing to God. And he said, Pastor, I, I literally just cried out, oh my God, what have I been doing? He said, I said, well, what did you do? He said, man, I called my grandmother and I asked her, grandmother, do you have any jewelry that I can have? That's what he did. He he goes to visit his grandmother. Do you have any jewelry? She gives him a single ring. It was a ring that had a single ruby stone. He immediately went back home to his living girlfriend and he said, listen, I love you. We've been doing this wrong. This is what God says. I wanna ask you, will you marry me? And two weeks later, they got married. Shortest engagement I think I've ever heard of, okay? (laughs) What was happening in that young man's life? He was building a relationship. He came to know Christ through salvation. And as he's getting in God's word, God begins to work and God begins to transform. And a year later, God would begin to work in his life. He said, listen, I've called you to the ministry. He has since sold his business and he's in seminary. He's a year away from going into pastoral ministry. What are you saying, Pastor Matthew? Here's what I'm saying. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. There was a conviction about the power of the gospel, but don't miss this. There was also a conviction about the need of the gospel. See, every believer I know should have a conviction about the power of the gospel because frankly, if you don't have a conviction about the power of the gospel to change lives, I would question whether your life has ever been changed. But they also had a conviction about the need for the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection, this good news of Jesus, to them was not an option. It wasn't on the sidelines. It wasn't an appetizer on the plate. No, no, it was the main event. Listen to what they say loud and clear in verses 11 and 12. Jesus, this is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. They were not only convicted about the power of the gospel, but of the need for the gospel. The need for the gospel is simply this. They understood loud and clear that there was only one way to heaven. Let me ask you, church, do you genuinely believe that there's only one way to heaven? And if we do, why are we so silent about it? It's so easy in our culture, in our day, to live as if there's many ways and many options, and so therefore we just let people alone to figure it out for themselves. In this moment, Peter and John are saying loud and clear, listen, 
There's only one way. There's only one name. There's only one message. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. Why Jesus? Why is he the only way? Because only he is God's beloved son. Only he lived a sinless life. Only he gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world. Only he rose again. Jesus is the only way to be rescued and redeemed. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5, and 6 says it this way, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus himself said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, verse 6. The question I'm often asked as a pastor is this, but pastor, what about those that have never heard the name of Jesus? What about those who live in our state and live in our country? What about those who live in parts of the world they've never heard? What about the two billion people that have heard the name of, never heard the name of Jesus? Romans chapter one tells us that God has revealed his glory and the reality of who he is throughout all creation so that, Romans chapter one, verse 20, so that they are without excuse. You know, ironically with that question, but pastor, what about those who've never heard the name of Jesus? I think that's the very question that God is asking us. Christian, what about those who've never heard? What about those who've never heard the message of Jesus? What about those that live in your neighborhood? What about those that live across the street? What about those that have never heard? See, I think the question is wrong. I think God is looking at us and reminding us that it is our calling to go. He has commissioned us to go. He's called us that our hands would be his hands, our feet would be his feet, that our voice would be his voice, that we would be his representatives to the world that is around us. In other words, this calling to go into all the world to take the gospel message, this reality that Jesus Christ is the only name by which can be saved, it is a reminder to us that this is not about our opinion. It is about God's marching orders for all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Christian, church, we are plan A for reaching the world for Jesus. And there is no plan B. There is no substitute. There is no alternative. God is looking at us today in this moment and this time, yes, in the midst of this culture. And he's saying, listen, he's reminding us that people are desperate and people are looking for answers and people have questions. And many people in our world today are living with all sorts of discouragement and despair. They're wondering, is there one? And God has given us the answer and his name is Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. We must begin with this conviction. If we're gonna recognize the fact that it's high time to speak up, we must have this conviction. But secondly, I want you to see this. I want you to see the conflict in the culture. God's calling for us loud and clear is to speak and to share the gospel message. But I have a warning for you. It will not be easy. It will not be smooth sailing. In fact, if Peter was proclaiming this message, hey guys, I want you to know it's only by the name of Jesus that this man's been healed. There's, there's salvation only in the name of Jesus. If Peter was saying this in a church service, he'd probably be getting amens and applause. All sorts of affirmation. I mean, the, the church would be like, hallelujah, that's right, Jesus saves, amen, go get him, Peter, right? That's kind of what would happen. And maybe sometimes when we share the gospel, we kind of think that God's gonna open the windows of heaven and give us that same response. But the truth is, when we stand up and speak the truth of the gospel, we're gonna face some conflicts along the way. Peter and John experienced that in a very clear way. I want you to see three things about it. First off, I want you to see the conflict that they have, but specifically the purpose of the conflict. Please understand, when you are attacked for the name of Christ, it is just that. The conflict comes not because it's an attack against you, but it's an attack against the name of Jesus. Listen to what happens, verse 13. They recognized that Peter and John were uneducated, untrained men. They were amazed and began recognizing them as having been with Jesus. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Listen to this, verse 17. But so that they will not spread this word among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this 
name. Verse 18, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. The conflict was there, not because Peter and John were bad people, but because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus. The purpose of this conflict is that God is reminding us loud and clear that you and I will experience hardship at times, even persecution at times, for the name of Christ. This war is not against you and me, it's against Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 15, verses 20 through 21. He says, remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you, listen, for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. What I'm just simply saying to you, Christian, is this. When we stand up to speak the truth of the gospel, we should not be surprised when conflict and circumstance along the way comes. Jesus warned us of this. Jesus prepared us for this. But not only do we see this incredible reality about the conflict, I want you to see the pressure of the culture. Notice what they do. The culture in that moment, the powers that be, the Sanhedrin court, was simply trying to do everything they could to get rid of the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was the very one they had just crucified. Jesus is the very one that the disciples are giving credit to. There's an inarguable proof of the power of the name of Jesus. And yet this Jesus is the same exact one that they have just crucified. To preach in this name and to allow it would mean they would have to humble themselves and admit that they had crucified the very son of God. They could have nothing to do with it. And so they brought pressure. We see it in three steps. First off, they warned them not to speak about the name of Jesus. They warned them, don't you do that. You shouldn't be doing that. Then they commanded them, don't you dare speak in the name of Jesus. Don't speak to anyone about this. Don't talk to anybody about this name. Don't go any further. And then the Bible says, and they threatened them, bringing every possible scenario and charge possibly to try to get them to be silent about Jesus. If you will, for our day today, this was the original cancel culture. We don't want to hear about this Jesus. Yeah, but he's the way, the truth. We don't want to hear about this Jesus. But he's the resurrection of life. No, we crucified him. Oh, you might have crucified him, but you didn't realize he is the resurrection of life. Guess what? You couldn't keep him dead. The only reason he died is not because you killed him, but because he willingly laid down his life, as the scripture said. And three days later, he rose again from the grave. You can cancel him all you want to, but you can't stop the name of Jesus from going forward. The pressure of the culture. Third, the priority of the Christian. I absolutely love what takes place next. The priority of the Christian. So, so what do you do when you're facing conflict from the culture? What do you do when the pressure's coming against you? Here's what you do. You set your mind that you're gonna speak up for Jesus. You surrender your will to God and recognize in that moment, I'm gonna shine bright for Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. He not only warned us about suffering for the cause of Christ, but notice what else he says in Luke chapter 21. This is so good. Before all these things, they're gonna lay their hands on you. They're gonna persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. But Jesus didn't stop there. Listen to this. It will lead to an opportunity for your what? Testimony. When you and I suffer for the name of Christ, when we experience hardship for the name of Christ, in that moment, if we're watching and looking, God will give an opportunity for us to proclaim the reason for the hope that's in us. God will give an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Already 5,000 people have been saved. And now that Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin court, God is giving them an incredible opportunity to proclaim the truth of Jesus. Listen to what the Bible says loud and clear in these verses of scripture. Verse 19, they had commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Please understand, this is not Peter and John being rebellious or defiant. This is not Peter and John using Pastor Michael's illustration last week, taking the giant sword and wielding it and puffing their chest and saying, I'll show you. No, 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 no. They are literally standing before the court. I mean, let's just be real about it. They are literally at the mercy of the court in this moment. 
I'm not an attorney, but if I was their attorney, I'd be like, guys, don't say anything. But here's what they're doing. They're saying, guys, whether we obey God or obey you, you be the judge of what you gotta determine about us, but here's what we do know. We can't stop speaking about Jesus. They're not being rebellious and arrogant and defiant. They're not leading a revolt or rebellion. They're just simply proclaiming the truth. We can't be silent about the one who's changed us. We can't be silent about the one who's commissioned us to go into all the world. We can't be silent about the love of Christ that is in us, that is compelling us to go and to share the reason for the hope. We can't, it's impossible. So do with us what you will. We're gonna be witnesses of Jesus. Their priority was loud and clear that they understood the gospel was not merely a simple list of facts that they knew. It was their own personal experience as they had firsthand experienced the reality of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I wanna remind us loud and clear today, when you and I proclaim the gospel, we need to first and foremost make sure we have first experienced it in our own life that we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I'm asking you today loud and clear, have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you seen and heard the truth of Jesus? Have you experienced his grace and mercy in your life? Do you remember the time, the place, the moment when God gloriously saved you and changed you? Many in our day today, many sitting in chairs and pews all across the nation today, and we got religious moments and we got religious memory and understandings, but I question, do we really have a relationship with Jesus? Third thing I want you to see, and I've got to move quickly this morning is this, I want you to see the commitment of the church. Their conviction is they believed in the power of the gospel and the need for the gospel message of Jesus to go throughout all the world. The conflict took place when they were simply proclaiming the name of Jesus and we can anticipate the same. But I want you to see thirdly, there is a call for us to be a committed people. I wanna ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you don't, you can and you should, and today can be your day of salvation. If you do, God now points us to the reality that we are called to a commitment in the context of the church. Here are Peter and John in this moment. God is saying loud and clear and reminding them and us that we are not alone. Jesus commissioned them to go into all the world. And when he did, he said in Matthew 28, verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We live in a dark and fallen world, but we're not alone. We have the presence of Christ with us. But for all who believe in Jesus, listen, church, we have each other. Listen to what happens in verses 23 through 33 as you look at the text with me there. And I'm gonna close quickly. Listen to what the Bible says. When they had been released, they ran to the basement and hid in fear. No, that's not what they did. When they had been released, they said, you know what? Let's lay low for a little while. Let's go our separate ways because if we're gonna be together, they're gonna find us easier. No, that's not what happened. Listen to this. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Look down to verse 27. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The commitment of the church. I, I want you to, I gotta say these quickly, please listen closely. Four things they were committed to that stand out loud and clear that challenge me, convict me, and remind us as a church how far we've come maybe how far we've fallen. Number one, they were committed to partner together. Logic would have said, guys, split up for a while so they don't find you. Logic would have said, go find a place, lay low, be silent, or else they're gonna persecute you some more. But that's not what God said. They immediately went to their companions. Who were their companions? It was the church. 
It was brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God showed them in that moment the value of partnership. Listen, we need each other. We gotta come together. We gotta encourage one another. We gotta pray together. We need each other. Can I just remind us loud and clear in this moment? It would have been very easy in the midst of that pressure to have been divided. We live today in a moment in time where the church is greatly divided. Greatly divided. Here in this moment, loud and clear, God is reminding us it's easy to be divided over fears and failures. It's easy to be divided over hurts and hangups and disappointments that happen in relationships. It can be easy to be divided over politics and pandemics, hello? The only time in the book of Acts where you see a separation God ordained it is for the express purpose of the furtherance of the gospel. If you find yourself, even watching online right now, separated from the people of God, and it is not leading to the furtherance of the gospel, God is not the source of your separation. Now, now I realize we live in a day where but there are many who, who are struggling because of health crisis in their life and many are, are dealing with issues because of the high demands of their job and, and for a season it's caused a, a distance there and frankly, I grieve for them and they grieve as well. But if our separation is about opinions and ideas and differences of, difference of opinion and somebody said this and that hurt my feelings and they shouldn't act that way, and I'm just telling you, that separation is the source of it all is Satan himself. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he is the thief who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Interestingly enough, in the very next chapter, Acts chapter five, we see the first separation of the early church and Peter nails it on the head in Acts chapter five, verse three, when he says, why has Satan filled your heart in this way? We're called to partner together. It is high time to speak up and proclaim the gospel, but we will not do that well if we are Lone Ranger Christians refusing to partner together. A Lone Ranger Christian is always a weak Christian. Secondly, they were committed to praise. This is incredible. Peter and John go to their companions. They tell them all that's going on. This is not a gossip session. This is not a woe is me session. They just tell them what's going on. And guess what the church does? The church begins to praise God. <laughs> I'm like, what? You're being told you can't preach about the name of Jesus. You're being threatened that you're, these are the same people that just crucified Jesus. And what do they do? They begin to praise God. Oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Come again? You know what's happening? They were not defeated by their circumstance. They were encouraged by the greatness of God. I mean, I'm reminded of David. When, when everybody else was looking at Goliath, that huge giant, they were afraid and they were terrified. He's gonna kill us, we're gonna die. This isn't gonna end well. When David, run, the Bible didn't say that David faced Goliath. It says he ran to Goliath. Why? Because David wasn't focused on the size of Goliath, he was focused on the greatness of God. It didn't matter how big Goliath was. When he saw God and had a vision and a perspective of him, Goliath was a shrimp. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that Peter and John in the early church, they were not overwhelmed by their circumstance because they were too busy praising God. Third thing they did, they committed to pray. Maybe one of the reasons that the church in America is so weak today is because we've lost our commitment to prayer. We think we're sufficient for the task at hand. Jerry Falwell used to say it this way, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. Are we a praying people? I love what happens in this moment. The Bible says they begin to pray. And here's what they pray in verse 29. Oh God, give us new leaders. We can't handle all these harsh leaders. Give us new leaders. No, that's not what they prayed. Good prayer request, but that's not what they prayed. God, change our circumstances. It's so horrible. It's like, God, would you just change our circumstances? No, that's not what they prayed either. Here's what they prayed. Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Well, you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for new leaders. They didn't pray for a change in situation. Circumstances. Here they prayed. God, would you change us? God, would you equip us? Would you give us boldness? Would you give us courage? Would you give us confidence to speak the gospel to the people? God, would you work? Would you move? Would you show yourself faithful and strong so that all will know it is you that's at work? 
When was the last time, Christian, you stopped praying, oh God, change my circumstance. Oh God, change my leader. Oh God, change my spouse. Oh God, change the situation. When was the last time you stopped praying that way and instead got, your, got on your face before God and said, oh God, would you change me? God, would you work in me? God, would you give me boldness? God, would you transform me? God, would you give me up? Would you go before me and open opportunities? God, would you work and move in my life and through my life in such a way that everyone will know it is you and you alone? They were committed to pray. And finally, they were committed to proclaim the name of Jesus. Notice what happens in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They began loud and clear to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can mark it down. Everywhere the gospel is proclaimed in word and practice in action, people are saved, lives are changed, and the kingdom of God is furthered. What happens when you and I speak up and proclaim the gospel message? I believe we'll begin to see happen the same thing that happened in the book of Acts. Does that mean that everybody believed in Jesus? No. Does that mean the entire culture changed immediately? <laughs> no. But when you and I go forth sharing the truth of the gospel and from our lives demonstrating the power of the gospel, it is an incredible witness to the truth of who Jesus really is. Listen to the book of Acts for just a moment. What was the result of a people filled with the Holy Spirit of God faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen to these verses. Tell me if you, you catch a little theme. These are just a few highlights from the book of Acts. Acts chapter five, verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Acts chapter six, verse seven, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests even were becoming obedient to the faith. Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria, they enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to what? Increase. Acts eleven twenty four and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Acts 13, 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Acts 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Acts 17, 11, and 12, of Berea, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. Acts 19 and 20, just a simple summary statement. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The key word there, isn't it? We live in a culture that largely seeks to reject and dismiss the name of Jesus and all who really proclaim him as the only name by which men can be saved. And yet, as we faithfully humble ourselves, as we faithfully seek to be his hands, his feet, and his voice to take the good news to others, I believe what we'll see is this. We will see that the same gospel message that transformed and changed people in the book of Acts is still working and transforming and saving souls and changing lives even still today, that the word of the Lord will grow mightily and prevail. Here's my question for you. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe in the need of the gospel for the world? If so, what is God calling you to do today to take that gospel message to the ends of the earth? There's some of us here today that God's convicting because frankly, there are people in our life that we do life with. We see them across the street. We see them at the sports field. We work with them on a regular basis and we have no idea where they stand spiritually. 
There's someone today that God is convicting to go and be that witness to them. There's some of us today that God's calling us, frankly, to get out of our comfort zone being in the valley and he's calling us to get outside of our immediate culture, to begin to find ways to serve the Lord, to take the gospel message to areas outside of our comfort. Frankly, there may be some of us here today. Maybe we're like the young seminary student in his 30s. Some of us might be successful in business and on the outside, it seems like everything's going well, but frankly, in our heart, we know that God has something greater for us. And it could be that God's calling you to ministry. Over two billion people in the world have never heard the name of Jesus. And it is our calling, God's commission for us to go and to make sure that the name of Jesus is taken to the ends of the earth. I want to encourage us today, let's not silence the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life but let's surrender, let's be obedient, let's walk by faith and watch and see what he will do. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for this time together and thank you for the reminder that Jesus is indeed the only way to heaven, the only savior of the world, the only sinless sacrifice who gave his life in our place, the only resurrection in the life who demonstrated that by raising again from the grave. God, I pray that each person here today has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I I pray that that is more than just a a mental fact that we understand or remember, but it's truly a reality that we have experienced and that we continue to walk in today. God, may the evidence of that change not just be a prayer that we prayed years ago, but a life that's continually being lived for you today. God, I pray there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as the Lord and Savior. I pray that today will be their day of salvation. But Father, I pray especially for all who are saved that you would show us our part in reaching the world for Jesus. May we be faithful to be your hands and your feet to take the gospel message to our neighbors, to our coworkers, beyond the valley, throughout the state, beyond the state, throughout the nation, beyond the nation, to the ends of the earth. May we be faithful to be your witnesses, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.